Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter number 15. Yes, this coming Sunday is Mother's Day. We'll be hearing from the first lady here at this church, my wife, Sister McGee. Yes, I'll come and be a part of that on Mother's Day. Acts 15, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6 here this evening to start with. The Bible says, And certain men came down from Judea taught the brethren and said except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses ye cannot be saved when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question Being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Venus and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together for to consider, for to consider of this matter. Amen. Tonight, I'm going to simply entitle this lesson in our series, Saved Even As They. And that basically comes from verse 11. Saved Even As They. Amen. One more time. We're praying, people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer that he'd help us in the next few moments. Jesus, I love you tonight. Help, Lord, our minds, God, and our attention. God, to be focused and set, Lord, upon you. Pray, oh, Lord, that you have, oh, Lord Jesus, to instruct us, Lord, by your word. Give us, the Lord, sound instruction tonight, God, from the book of Acts, Lord Jesus, for our lives. God, it can find, Lord, a place of settling, Lord, within our lives. God, I pray. I bless your people for their faithfulness to the house of God. Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Lord Jesus, God, for it. Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Also, as a reminder, within the month of May, the last Sunday in this month, which is Memorial Day weekend month, on that Sunday night after service, we'll be having a family uh, game night. Uh, in the back, or we, I don't know if it's still daylight, we might even be able to do some things outside, you never know, could even have a fire, my goodness, it sounds better all the time, uh, but you don't want to miss that Sunday uh, p.m., because uh, Brother James Malone and Brother Zach McGee will both be speaking to us in that evening service of Memorial Day weekend, so you want to come and be a part, amen, of that, but here we are, Acts 15, smile at your neighbor, yeah, you can do it, can't you? Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, we are 20 years now removed from Pentecost. And the total demographics of the church has changed quite greatly from where it first started in the book of Acts chapter number 2 in Jerusalem. Things have changed a lot since that that first outpouring of the Spirit. There's been an influx, no doubt, of Jews, but there's also been an influx of Gentiles as well. Gentiles, many of them, which now at this stage in the game, had not converted even to Judaism. So uh, the demographics of the church is greatly different. And so the question that is being uh, wrestled with here in chapter number 15 isn't so much, can the Gentiles be saved? That isn't so much the question, because many of them already are saved. The question that is really being wrestled with here is, How are the Gentiles to be saved? So it's not if they are, but how have they met all the criteria, so to speak, uh, for being saved? 
And so they're going to give a lot of consideration to this matter in chapter number 15. And so starting right out of the gate, we hear from certain men, the Bible calls them, that came down from Judea to Antioch of Syria. And they begin to speak to those that are there, the brethren. And uh, they state quite emphatically, they state quite emphatically that uh, a man, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And although they may have stated that as being applicable to every individual, I tend to believe they was leaning their elbow hard upon uh, the Gentiles. Amen. That unless they were circumcised, they could not be saved. And so we're going to hear a lot of people talk about this. These, these people from Judea, Judea uh, most notably known as Pharisees, are going to talk about it. Paul and Barnabas are going to weigh in on the matter. Peter, who we haven't seen for quite some time, come out of hiding, he's going to talk about it. James, the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he's going to talk about it. And they're going to discuss this quite uh, in-depthly about the idea of what the Gentiles, how they are to be saved. Now, you must remember that Paul and Barnabas has kind of changed the direction uh, of the ministry of the church through their ministries to a certain degree because they have turned their, their, their ministry from what was a Jew-Gentile mixture to primary now just majorly a, a, a Gentile focus because if you'll remember, the Jews have put away the word of God from them. At least the word, the gospel that they were speaking to them, they had put that away. And ever since that moment, back in Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas has turned their attention unto the Gentile people, the Gentile people. And as a result, the number of Gentiles, man, it's increasing. I mean, it's uh, on the left hand and on the right hand, there are increase of Gentile uh, conversions. And so Paul and Barnabas had preached that through Jesus Christ, this is their message, that through Jesus Christ, all could be, this is what we see in the next 13, all could be justified or all could be saved and that no one, they stated this quite clearly then in Acts 13, that no one had been justified by the law of Moses. That's what they had said. They said it's through Jesus Christ. Justified through Jesus Christ and not necessarily the law. No one, no one, anybody ever had been justified by the law of Moses. And so we have these Judaizers or these Pharisees then that are, have this teaching that now except a man be circumcised, he cannot be saved. Well, Paul Barnabas said it's just if you believed in Christ Jesus and were obedient to the gospel, you were saved. These Pharisees are saying, well, all right, that's fine and dandy, but also in addition to that, they must be circumcised literally in their flesh and according to verse number 5, they didn't just stop there. They seem to throw in there also that they must keep the law of Moses, command them to keep the law of Moses. It states in verse number 5. So they go even a step further than circumcision. They mention keeping the law of Moses. But Paul Burma says no one has ever been saved by just keeping the law of Moses. And so the idea again is this. To what extent should the Gentiles observe the precepts and the principles, if you will, of the law of Moses. So evidently to these Pharisees, their idea of salvation was totally something different than that which Paul and Barnabas was preaching. To these Pharisees, salvation meant not only identifying with Christ Jesus, but also identifying with the nation of Israel. Thus the circumcision. Thus the keeping the law of Moses. So again... We, we, we've seen just little glimpses of it leading up to this point, but it's hidden strong right here. Again, the idea of the Jewish Christians is this, is there is no Christians except they be a Jewish Christian, recognizing Christ Jesus and recognizing the nation and nationality of Israel, Judaism. And so they say, arguably here, a man must be circumcised. Folks, we go all the way back. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God came down, and spoke with Abraham, and arguably uh, spoke with Abraham and told him as a sign of, of them, the Jews, being his covenant people, that sign would be circumcision, and it would denote that those people were in a covenant relationship with God. If you'll remember whenever uh, Potiphar, and not Potiphar, but Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river 
and she discovered Moses in that little basket of bulrushes, the Bible says that she exclaimed, noticed herself, and said, this is a Hebrew child. Why do you think, I always, always preached and thought this, the reason why she knew that was a Hebrew child, because the three months that he was under the care of his mother, on the eighth day she did as every good Jewish woman would have done. She circumcised that boy. It was a mark of distinction upon his life that that was a Jewish, a Jewish child. So all the way back at Abraham said that's a sign of a covenant relationship with God. As a matter of fact, you can read concerning that sign of circumcision in Genesis 17. Uh, God told Abraham, he said, this would be our covenant. This is our sign circumcision. It's going to be for you and your seed after you. It's going to take place perpetually as a sign that we are in covenant with one another. And uh, it's to be done. This is the, the proper way it's to be done on the eighth day of that child's life, of that male child's life. You are to circumcise that child, all right? And it's to be done for those that are born from your house or for those that you have purchased with money that are not a part of your house. Regardless, it doesn't matter either way. They are to be circumcised. And for that matter, anybody, any of those males that are not circumcised, they will be cut off from your people. They'll be cut off from the Jewish people. They will be cut off from Israel. For that matter, whenever it comes to the time of the feast of Passover to eat the lamb and all that, only those who were circumcised could eat the Passover lamb. Only those who were circumcised. But God gave it circumcision sign on the eighth day, said and done, so to speak. But the Jews do somewhat what the Jews have done as car in their history. They're given a law and they just elaborate on it, add other stuff to it. Yeah. They added so much other stuff to this concept of circumcision that was given them by God. That's the reason why in verse number one, these, these, these Pharisees, you're gonna be, you accept you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. That's the reason why it's specified after the manner of Moses because they've added all this other stuff to it. It's somewhat different than what God had originally brought it down to in, in Genesis chapter number 17. Uh, so it's after the manner of Moses. But let's consider circumcision for a moment. That's great. That was under the Old Covenant. That was under the Old Testament. And all many things of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, when it comes to ceremonial things, nothing more but a shadow of something better that was to come. Now, whenever you talk about the moral law of God, the moral law of God, not having no other gods before him, all that moral law, moral law does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. But ceremonial law, Ceremonial law, that's just ceremony. Those were things that were nothing but shadows of something better to come. And so when we consider this, the Apostle Paul takes up the discussion in the book of Romans. Circumcision is talked about a lot in the New Testament because it was a point of contention between the Jews and the Gentiles. He takes it up and he says, let's consider this concept called circumcision that's under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that's ceremonial. Look at it in verse number 25, Romans 2, 25. I got a lot of Bible here on this Bible study night, all right? <laughs> Romans 2 and verse 25. For, I'm going to just go real slow because I don't want you to get lost in it all. For circumcision. For circumcision verily profiteth. So there's something profited by circumcision if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Because see, this circumcision was making you covenant in covenant with God, you know, it was part of one of those, those ceremonial laws, part of the laws of God, and so you abided by that, and if you keep all the other laws, then all of that is good and fine. But if you're a breaker of the law, well, what does that really speak of this aspect that you've taken a sign of circumcision in your body if you're not obeying the rest of the law? All right? It says, so your circumcision really don't mean much. It's just a sign. Let's break it down in terms, okay? Let's break it down in terms. We have things in our life that's a part of our sanctification with the Lord. The way we dress is part of our, 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 our daily sanctification. But the way you dress don't mean anything. Don't mean anything. You're a liar and a cheater and a fornicator. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, okay. We're on the same verse page. Verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision... Keep the righteousness of the law. In other words, if there's those that are uncircumcised, let's say the Gentiles, but they are keepers of the moral law, shall not his uncircumcision be accounted for circumcision? 
In other words, if there's a Gentile, but he is a keeper of the moral law of God, is he not just as much as in covenant with God as those who are, quote-unquote, literally circumcised? Hmm? So what Paul's getting at, them being saved or not saved is not the mechanics of a literal cutting in the flesh or not. It really goes deeper than just the flesh. It goes all the way to the heart. It's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. He says in verse 27, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, male, male babies born into the world, guess what? Are not circumcised by nature. So, and shall not circumcision, which is by nature, nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee. He's speaking, he's speaking now. He's speaking because he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. He says, how good does it look for someone who by nature enters the world, a Gentile that's not circumcised, abide by the law, and you who are supposed to by your circumcision be in covenant with God, transgress the law. He said, they're judging you by their life. Although you have this little trinket of a sign, they're judging you by the way they live their life rather than just by some marking on their body. <laughs> yeah, glory, amen. Okay, let's go. Let, let Paul talk. Not this Paul, but that the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Clarification. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, literal, flesh-cutting circumcision. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, so to speak. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Boy, you want to talk about getting down to the nitty-gritty. He pulls back the curtain and says, some of you all just getting circumcised so you can be called a Jew. So you can be called some of them. But you live your life in contrast to what they're supposed to be representing. You're doing it so that men will applaud who you are. You're a Jew. He said, but you're not getting any praise from God. I have found in my experience, there's some people that enter the church that start to do exterior things just so that they can say they're a part. And they get the accolades of men but they've missed the praise of heaven because there's deeper things that the eye cannot see that is still going on in their life that is corruption and havoc and totally appalling in the sight of God. Amen. So Paul tells the Romans that a true Jew is not one who has kept the ordinance or the ritual of a literal circumcision in the flesh, but one that has received the circumcision, as other places of Scripture call it, a circumcision made without hands. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 11, Paul talking to the church at Colossae, he says, in whom, and he's speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He tells us what the circumcision is. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Listen, this is, this is the, the, the thinking of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was this. They thought that whenever a child was born on the eighth day, or rather whenever a child was circumcised on the eighth day and they waited to the eighth day, that you can read, you can read history, anything you want concerning this, that whenever they circumcised, that, that the evil and the iniquity and, and all the frustrations, if you will, and turmoil of the flesh, the war of the flesh, came to the head of where that flesh was cut off for circumcision on day number eight. I know that sounds very mystical, but that's what they believed. And so the, whenever they circumcised that child, then on the eighth day, the sin, the iniquity, all of the evil, all of the warring back and forth of the members of the body was taken care of where they circumcised that child on the eighth day. All right? But for new covenant, Christ says, whenever you're buried in my name in baptism, huh? See, they thought everything was being taken away back then. But he says, when you're buried in my name and baptism, what is repentance and, and baptism in Jesus' name for? The remission or the removal of sin. Huh? He said, Old Covenant, they thought they were taking care of it. But that's Old Covenant. That was just a shadow for something better. 
<laughs> that was just a shadow for something better. He said, the better is this. Without doubt, without controversy, you go down in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereunto Old Testament circumcision is likened to, it will take care of the sin issue, the sin problem, the uncleanliness in the life of an individual when you are circumcised in your heart through baptism. Amen. Someone say Amen. So New Testament circumcision is being buried in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He spoke to us what it was right there in Colossians verses 11 and verse number 12. Someone say, Amen. It wasn't a literal circumcision, but it was a circumcision that took place in the realm of the Spirit that took care of the sin issue inside of man. And so this is how a Gentile, never having a literal circumcision, of his physical body could be more honorable concerning the law because they had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and had received the spirit of the Holy Ghost, which the Bible also calls the spirit of truth. And what does that spirit of truth, I think John 14 tells us, it will lead and guide you, Right? It will lead and guide you into all truth and all of the righteousness that is before the Lord. Amen. So, Jesus Christ had to die. So this gospel salvation was his will. The idea that he would give the gospel or he, people would come to salvation through the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection by being obedient to the gospel, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Since he died, so that gospel salvation, this idea of being saved by the gospel, being obedient to the gospel, all of that was a part of his will. Do you agree with that? Hmm? Do you believe that people, their baptism, repentance, and the Holy Ghost infilling was their obedience to the gospel of his act of death, burial, and resurrection? And Christ, he, he put this plan in order for people to come to salvation. And it was, a, you believe that was part of his will? Now just walk with me. As long as Jesus was alive, Jesus could will whatever he wanted to will. Just stay with me. As long as that man, as long he was alive, and you can relate this to a real will that a person has right now. As long as the individual is alive, they can do things outside of what is written within their real will. I, might, I could have written in my real will today what you don't. I could have written in my real will that I'm going to give my couch and recliner to Fred McGee. I know you're really wanting it, brother. I could give I go give it to Fred McGee. But as long as I'm alive, right now, if I want to, I could give that couch and that recliner to Alex Mason. Although I have that written will. As long as I'm alive, I can do whatever I will. Whatever I want to do. But once the man dies, his written will is in effect without alteration you hearing me without alteration so here's here's the problem people get how in the world can jesus look at the thief on the cross and say today thou shalt be with me in paradise how in the world he could do whatever he wants to as long as he's alive on pre-calvary he can do whatever he wants to he can make circumcision a part of the old covenant to be a sign of relationship with him with god he can say to the man across the day, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. He can do whatever he wants to as long as he's alive. But the moment that the testator of the man dies, whatever's in his will <laughs> comes into action. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 15, look at it now, Hebrews 9 and verse 15, And for this cause he, speaking of Christ Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament or the New Covenant. That by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the 
first testament or the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Look at verse 16. For where a testament or a covenant is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For the testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator is alive. While Jesus was alive, Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. The man Jesus Christ, he could look the thief and say, so be it. And I know this is bizarre, but if he said, if you do five jumping jacks and three push-ups, you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He could have done it. It's his will. He can do with it what he wants. But once the man dies, whatever he has written in his will, and what he left in his will was this. It's by repentance, it's by baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost in this dispensation of grace after the man Christ Jesus has passed, that that will goes in effect for you and me. And that's also for the Gentile. It doesn't matter now, Jew, that years ago circumcision was the sign of covenant relationship with God. He could do whatever he wanted to do, but Jesus has come now, and that man, that flesh died, and so his written will is now in force the way for a man to be saved whether he's Jew, Gentile, poor, rich hallelujah is to be born again of the water and the spirit yes and so gotta go Paul and Barnabas Paul and Barnabas then are leaving they're leaving Antioch. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They say, man, this matter, this is a big matter here. We're discussing circumcision. We're going to have to take this all the way back to the place of origin. We're going to have to go all the way back to Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas are leaving Antioch. They're making travel to Jerusalem. And as they're on their way to Jerusalem, they stop at a few places along the way. Like some of you all travel, you've got to stop at a dozen places to get to. That's not me. But you've got to stop at a dozen places. Smell the flowers, eat the food, shop a little bit, you know, read the historical marker. You go do it. They had to stop at a dozen places to get back to Jerusalem. And everywhere they stopped, they was telling the people about what God was doing among the Gentiles. And the Bible says whenever the people heard this in verse number 3, that they were stopping at, the Bible says, man, they were filled with great joy. And so they took that same information they were sharing as they were going along the way. And when they get to Jerusalem, they tell the people of Jerusalem about it. And then they got somebody standing up waving a law banner. All along the way, they got great joy. And here they have like, huh, we're going to have to consider this matter. Oh. Circumcision. Keep the law of Moses. Notice though, Paul and Barnabas in verse number four, they're very careful when they relate this to the church of Jerusalem, those that are gathered together. They're very careful to emphasize. They declared all things. Look at the last phrase. They declared all things that God, everybody say God, that God had done with them. In other words, we're telling about what, what happened to the Gentiles and them receiving salvation. But this is everything that God had done. In other words, if the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, folks, as the Jews received the Holy Ghost, then it must have been his will for them to do it even without being circumcised. And so for, for the Jews now to superimpose Every ceremonial aspect of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, upon a New Covenant people would be like taking, the Bible calls it, be like taking new wine and putting it in old bottles. And the, 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 the real picture there, putting new wine in old bottles, old, old wineskins or old wineskins uh, became not as elastic as new wineskins were. They became more rigid. They didn't have the elasticity like a new wineskin had. And so whenever you took, took new wine and put it into old wineskins, that new wine and the old wineskin, new wine started to expand, and it would go with gases as it began to ferment. And if the bottle couldn't go with the elasticity and the expansion of the gases of the new wine, it would break. To take all the old covenant stuff and try to put it on a new covenant people was trying to make two things that do not come together. It, listen, to try to do that was this. You remember when Christ was on the cross and he gave up the ghost, all that, and the scripture records, and the veil in the temple was rent in twain? 
Because now not just one man one time a year had access to the presence of God, but every individual, regardless of who they were, had access to the throne of God. To take the Old Testament covenant and try to put it upon the new covenant people was somebody like standing up the veil trying to stitch it back together. <gasps> Amen. Trying to stitch all this back together. Amen. And furthermore, let's consider, let's consider us today. We're Gentiles. We're spiritual Jews, per se, but we're Gentiles by natural birth. If the early church got satisfied with just therefore and no more, and focused solely on keeping just who they had, all those in leadership, if they just totally went through the venue of how it served them, then there would have not been an us. You hear me? If their focus was just keeping what they had rather than reaching for whosoever will, will, none of us would be here tonight. This would have been just with Israel, just that little country over there in the Mideast, and nothing more. Yeah. Amen. Acts 15, verse number 7. Let's read some verses of Scripture. We got time. When there had been much disputing. Here's Peter coming out of hiding, so to speak. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe he's referring back to Acts 10 whenever he went to Cornelius' house. All right. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So here's Peter. He's among this discussion. He shows up. He stands up. There's disputing going on. He takes them all the way back to Acts 10, how he was to be a voice among the Gentiles. Remember, God relayed to Peter before he went to Cornelius' house through a vision that he gave him three times with the unclean beasts that come down. He said, Peter, what I call what I have cleansed, call thou not common or unclean. And whenever those three men showed up at Peter's door, he understood the vision clearly that whatever God has cleansed, don't call common or unclean. So he's relaying this for the Jews. God has brought these Gentiles here. They're filled with the same spirit that you have. And if he's cleansed them, you can't call them common and you can't call them unclean and you can't call them unfit for the gift that they have. Amen? What this means is this, the worst of alcoholics, the worst of drug addicts, someone that's lived a life and comes in here with all kinds of prostitution can come to an altar of prayer, they can repent to God, they can be baptized in Jesus' name, and God can fill them with the Holy Ghost just like the same spirit that you have. Now that doesn't matter, that doesn't mean that... All of that is just going to fall off the scale now in their life. But that means they had a sincere moment before God that they said, God, I'm going to try to turn. That doesn't mean they're not going to have a bad day. That doesn't mean they're not going to flub up. That doesn't mean that they might not tip the bottle somewhere along the line. But they started a journey, and they've invited God in on that journey. They've, they've invited God in on that journey, and he showed up in their life just the same as in yours. Hallelujah, holy, sanctified life that you are. True. True. But I can't sit here at the moment that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I can't sit there and think myself any better than they are because I got my talk right, my dress right, and all these other things right. Because I got this outward circumcision going on of everything else right. Honey, we are, we, are, we are at two different stages. But when it comes to the concept of salvation, we both have been saved. You're further along on your sanctification journey than they are. But you've both been saved. 
Amen. Peter stands up talking about all this. Now, folks, listen, along this journey, and I, I don't want to have to go back and forth, but I feel like sometimes I almost got to. You, that doesn't mean that we, sh- we throw away this whole concept and idea of maturing in the Lord, growing in the Lord, sanctification down through the toilet. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that people that come in here, you, you, you don't expect someone to be grown up when they're born. When's the last time a lady's delivered a 6, 275-pound baby from the womb that could talk, eat, drive a car? But we want the prostitute come to the altar, receive the Holy Ghost, come back to the next service, be fully clothed the way she'd be clothed, have her speech all cleaned up. What are you saying? I'm saying the whole concept of this Jew and the old covenant thing, you know, some of us got that in our crawl too. We stand sometimes in our sanctimode, sanctified way of our crossed eyes and say, bless God, they're never going to make it until they look like I look and talk like I talk. So do you remember the pit from which you were pulled from? Do you remember the mud that was on your nose? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? So God poured out, his, poured out his spirit, Peter says. He poured out his spirit. Let me get back here to the Bible. <laughs> Everything I said was biblically based, I guarantee you. If we need to throw a few more scriptures in just for the proof that we endure. <laughs> well, we got plenty of scriptures to go through, don't we, brother? Yes, we do. <laughs> but but, 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 but I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get back here into scripture here. Verse 7, 8, he says, A God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost. Because at that stage, whenever that sinner comes to the altar, and they still got much of their hang-ups, this, that, and the other, if salvation was going to be extended by the exterior of where they were, it probably would be withheld. But God knows deeper than the exterior. He knows the heart. He knows the intent and the purity of that person when they're kneeling at that altar. He knows the sincerity of that repentance better than any of us that stand around looking know. He knows that individual's heart in that moment. And in that moment, it's all it takes. In that moment of sincerity and purity, God can get to someone the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, so-and-so got the Holy Ghost here tonight, but I saw them out doing da-da-da-da-da. That does not negate that in the moment that God's seen the intent and the purity of a heart. He said, he said God, God gave the Gentiles, he poured out his spirit. God wouldn't have given them his spirit if he had seen something there in the heart in the moment that wasn't willing to receive it. But God, in a moment, knew their heart, gave them the Holy Ghost. They went down in a watery grave of baptism. There was a washing. There was a removing that went forth with that. And they received, perhaps, the spirit of the Holy Ghost. So he says in verse 9, he said, God put no difference between the Jew or between the Gentile. You know what, you know what Paul Peter is saying to these folks? God did not view one as more of a sinner or less of a sinner than the other. God viewed us all as sinners. He he didn't put no difference concerning our condition before we came to the Lord, and he put no difference in our condition after we came to the Lord. He He didn't put no difference. They were sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3 and verse number 9, that's all right, Romans 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says, What then? Listen to me, you're, you're looking through a screen, okay? The Bible says in Romans 3, 9, What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. God didn't put no difference. 
said they all come on level ground to the cross. They're all sinners. Oh, but that one over there, they, they had pretty good morals. They just lied every once in a while. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you shot up intravenously every day. All right. Or you told a lie one time in your life back in the early 1950s. You're both sinners. That, that's it. We're, we're, not, we're not categorizing. Now, man, we do, men do this. We categorize bigger, not so bad, and this and so on and so forth. We put that on that shelf, and this, God has one shelf. And all humanity born of a woman are placed on that shelf. They're sinners. They're sinners. Jew or Gentile. Romans 3, verse 22. Romans 3, 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ into all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. 23, we love for all of sin. So there is no difference. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Both Jew and Gentile are labored, labeled as sinners. There's no difference between them and the eyes of God as far as sin goes. He says so he purifies, he purifies in verse 9, he purifies their hearts by faith. I want to touch on this just enough. Just enough to say I touched it. Okay. Purifying their hearts by faith. In spite of what you read in, 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 in books of different persuasions, regardless of what you hear on the radio, I'm here to just put it to something. Okay. There is no such phrase or terminology in your Bible as faith alone. You hear me? The, the, the people state salvation is by faith alone. They are lying to you. There is no such. You cannot find that terminology in the Bible. The only time you see both faith and alone in the same verse is in James 2.17, where the Bible says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. I'm telling you, this what people, they say, faith alone, Christ alone, blah, 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 blah. They're using an unbiblical phrase on you. Because if faith is alone, it's dead faith. I've, I've said this a gazillion times. I'll say a gazillion and one. Faith that is alone is dead faith. Faith accompanied with works or obedience is living faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The gospel, listen to me, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and obedience to the gospel only profits whenever that is mixed with faith. Death, burial, and resurrection does not benefit you unless it's mixed with faith because faith always comes with obedience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it only becomes profitable when it's mixed with faith because faith alone is dead. And the word by itself doesn't have no impacting force unless it's obeyed. But faith alive, that's accompanied with works, if you will, or obedience to the word of the gospel. Now that profits something. We could go all the way back the other week. Remember me saying we must think ourselves really something if it's works. Well, I repented and I got baptized and God gave me the Holy Ghost. Remember what I said? You could do all of that. But if it wasn't for his work of the death, burial, and resurrection, you could repent all day long. It ain't going to do nothing for you. So it all really comes down to his work anyway. You hear me? It all comes down to his work anyway. You repenting is not you working. That, that only works because he worked. You understand? That only, that only benefits because he did a work. So we still have our faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. We're just being obedient to the gospel, but it still wouldn't work unless he had done something. So it's not about, I got my way into the kingdom. That's not what us apostolics are about. Man, I forged my way into the kingdom because I remember. No, 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 no. I was obedient to the gospel, and it worked because Christ did something. Yeah. Amen. So Acts, Acts 15, 10, we, I gotta, I'm sorry, we got to go. Feeling <laughs> that spirit of the kids getting out of school or something on them. Now, therefore, the adults are saying, we still work. 
But how many of you go to bed at 8 11? Okay. Acts 15 and verse 10. <laughs> now, therefore, why tempt ye God? Look, this is what Peter said. Why are you tempting God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, he says, we're trying to take the Old Testament law, circumcision. We're trying to place it on the Gentiles. We're trying to put something on the Gentiles, not even the Jews. Not even the Jews could successfully bear. And so the question he's pondering is this. If the Jews couldn't obtain salvation by the law, how do we expect the Gentiles to accomplish it by the law? You believe the Gentiles need circumcised? You think they need a cutting off of the flesh or a cleansing? You're saying that's what they must have? You're saying except that happens, they cannot be saved? That's what they led with? Then are you questioning the judgment of God that gave them salvation without them doing that? Because you just say they need this and God gave it, with, gave it to them without that, then you're questioning God. I don't know how many times we have. Question people's experience at an altar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they really got it or not. I don't know, Brother Greg, if they really got it or not. Because I've noticed some things since they got it. So you're saying, you're saying then that, that, that life isn't just quite what it needs to be for them to have received the Holy Ghost, but God gave it to them anyway. So you're questioning whether or not God made the right decision in doing what he's doing, that your opinion matters more than God's? Look now, 11... Verse 11, X 15. But we believe, Peter says, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now, Peter is speaking. Peter is speaking. He said, I am a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Or that was Paul. But nevertheless, Peter was a Jew. Because that's the reason why he was Saul and he was persecuting the church, so on and so forth. He was of the strictest sect. And he thought they were claiming another God when they were talking about this Jesus. He was a Jew. So he's saying... But we believe, us Jews believe, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, us Jews shall be saved even as the Gentiles were saved. He kind of really switches things up because he didn't say, they, the Gentiles, shall be saved even like us Jews. That's not the way he worded it. He said, us Jews shall be saved like the Gentiles. Boy, I bet that crawled up their spine. <laughs> I bet that, in other words, we're... They're, we're not going to be the pattern that's followed. It's going to be the pattern that was set in their life that's going to be followed. And the reason why is because we think it takes this circumcision and all this other keeping of the commandments of the law of Moses and this for salvation. But them, they had salvation without all of these ceremonial things. Gentiles would be the pattern. He said, we, 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 we believe then that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Give me about five Hundred minutes. <laughs> Pause for the impact of that. Amen. Grace given through Jesus Christ does what the law could never do. Grace given through Jesus Christ does what the law never could do. And that is the law could never make the man perfect. Or the law could never make him complete. The law could never make him mature. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope, speaking of the new covenant, grace did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Hebrews 10, 1, for the law having a shadow, here we are, of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, everyone say never, can never with those sacrifices of lambs and, and bulls and goats, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. The law could never 
all those sacrifices. But the one sacrifice of the new covenant, namely through God's Son, Christ, yes, can make the comers there in two. Perfect. The law, let's just state a few things. I have reference for this. You want to know where they're at? Come after me after church, I'll tell you. The law could not purify a sinner's heart. The law could not impart the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to a person. The law could not give an individual eternal life. It was, it was anemic in all of these things. Galatians 2.21 says this. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Galatia. He says, I do not frustrate. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness, right living, good living, come by the law, he said, then Christ is dead in vain. If they could have got all of this with all of the, the intricacies and ceremony and all the laws of the Old Testament, then there was no reason for Christ to have died. He died in vain. But the thing is, none of those things could take place with the Old Testament law. Amen. It took the death of Christ to bring. He says, so if you want to frustrate grace, just think it all happened because of what was done in the Old Testament. Wrong. It all happened because of what Jesus Christ did in the New Testament for you and for me. Someone say amen. See, so they had a group of people that did not see that grace fulfilled the law. Grace fulfilled the law. That where the law ended or where the law became weak, grace started and grace was strong. The, the, the Bible has this terminology. I'm, I'm running. I really am. Help me. Oh, God, help us. What does it mean? What does it mean? The Bible, what does it mean? That Romans 10, 4 has this phrase. What does it mean that Christ is the end of the law? That Christ is the end of the law. Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. What does this mean? Christ is the end of the law. Does it mean that the law terminates in Christ? Does it mean that, that, that Christ is the sum total fulfillment of the law? What does it mean that Christ is the end of the law? Uh, even Romans 3.20, that's just a reference. Romans 3.20 tells us through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law, law lets me know I got sin in my life. It's like a ruler, you know. Is that 12 inches or 9? I can know according to the ruler if it is 9 or 12. You know, the law tells me where I stand. It brings knowledge of sin in my life. But the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 3, for what the law could not do, here it is, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. See, Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ is the end of the law because what the law could not do, what the law could not do, where the law was weak, Jesus Christ was strong. What the law could not do, Jesus Christ could do. The law gave me the knowledge of sin, but it's Jesus Christ that took that sin and condemned it in his own flesh. And what? It's Christ that took the law of the ordinances that were written against us. The Bible says, and nailed them to the tree. The, the, the law could not tell you. The law said you're a cheater. The law said you're a fornicator. The law said you're a liar. The law said you're a drunk. The law said you're a drug addict. The law said you're an alcoholic. That's great. I already knew that. But what Christ did, he stepped in where the law stopped and said, I know you're a drug addict, but I can take away the addiction. I know you're an alcoholic, but I can take away the alcohol. I know you're a prostitute, but I can clean up your life where it was weak where it was weary Christ came in and was strong and Christ becomes the end of the law because he's a fulfiller Woo! most of this is scripture y'all gonna be okay I'm uh, we're just going it's just proper if we end, okay, with what I have here. <laughs> Romans 13, 8. Look at it here. Talking about this idea of law. This idea of grace. Owe no man anything but to love. Everyone say love. But to love one another. I don't know if you know, but since I started one another series, I have tied a PM service and even this tonight, all into this concept of one another, okay? With purpose. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, listen, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. 
Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet it. The Old Testament moral law. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We talked about this a long time ago now, a series on the Ten Commandments. You can take the first half of the Ten Commandments, and they relate to the phrase, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You can take the second half of the Ten Commandments, and they relate, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And there's a common denominator to both of those, whether it is vertical or horizontal, and that's love. That's how love becomes the fulfilling of the law. Now, now look at it. So he says, you, we, we can start naming them. Thou shalt not bear fault. What's this, this, this? We can start. Man, you want our list? I mean, think about it. If they told them that they wanted them to be circumcised and also uh, keep the commandments of the law of Moses, there were 613 commands in the Old Testament, and even the Jews added more to that. There were thousands of commandments. But what God is saying, say we, 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 Paul's saying we could start right here. We name this one, name this one, name this one, name this one. You want to fulfill them? Love. Love God. Love man. Look at verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Remember from Sunday morning, what Jesus told the lawyer in Matthew 22 on these two commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor. He said, all of the law hang or hinge on those two. So the great commandment in the law, according to Jesus, was love on two different planes toward him and toward your fellow man. Now watch me now. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.14. Is everybody doing okay? I'm glad. In 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul told Timothy, the grace, of, do you know that word? The grace of of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Grace is overflowing with love because it's in Christ Jesus. And love, Brother Greg, is the fulfilling of the law. And all the law and even the prophets are hanging on this concept and this idea of love. So, we're saved by grace through faith? Absolutely. Because whenever I'm saved, by grace. Grace is overflowing with love which is in Christ. And the fulfilling of the law is love. So all the law and the prophets that you think I'm getting by with and without, whenever I have loved God and others, I have fulfilled mm -hmm, in my own personal life life that's just taking scripture scripture and putting them together like a puzzle Paul says and you can stand with me Galatians 5 and 3 it's a constant thing man he hits he hits he hits this whole concept a lot in Galatians and several of the other epistles too James he brings up the idea of faith and works and so on and so forth but Paul says this look he says for I testify again to every man that is circumcised literal circumcision that he is a debtor to the whole law. He is a debtor to the whole law. In other words, Paul's saying, if you have, you have literally bound yourself ceremonially through circumcision of the flesh, you have bound yourself by obligation to the whole ceremonial system of the law. Because you can't, you can't a la carte it. So if you said, then we got to have the circumcision of the law, which is a ceremonial aspect, and you have to have all the Old Testament sacrifices, the proper one at the proper time, done the proper way. Because if you, if, you, if you fall in one of those, you have failed in all. He says, but for the Gentiles, I said, this salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever they obey the gospel, I'll give them my spirit. They'll experience grace. They'll have love for God and for one another. And they will fulfill the law without binding themselves to some ceremonial Old Covenant, Old Testament thing that was just a shadow, not the substance. Substance came in the New Testament Scripture. And so Peter sums it all up. He says, boys, he says, we, the Jews, shall be saved even as they, the Gentiles. How? Because they were saved by grace through faith. They obeyed the gospel. 
and they were saved. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. No circumcision, no keeping of anything ceremonial from the Old Testament. That's the way they were, that's the way we are, and that's the way it's going to be. Because the man who is the testators died, and that's the way he had his will. That's the way he had his will. And that goes into effect because the man, Christ, that flesh, died in the ground. Died. Someone say amen. You got 30 more minutes in you? If so, you can go home and stay up and do something with it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody's getting nervous. I won't do this every time, just four times out of a month. No, I'm joking. Listen, folks, we get honest with one another. We're real honest with one another. There's times I've come up here and I've preached 25 minutes, right? I've done, there's been times I've done 30. So, again, it all balances out if you start doing the math. I've not sat down and done it, but it all balances out if you do the math. Hallelujah. Can we just raise our hands to the Lord? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.